used to talk all the time about how we had to prepare high school students to be career and college ready. Now we talk about we as institutions need to be student ready. We need to deliver to them what they need. Um, and it's going to be very different depending on that individual. Welcome to Forward with NACI, Inspiring Entrepreneurial Action, a podcast that shares the stories of everyday entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial leaders, and the communities that support us. We hope that this diverse collection of stories brings you inspiration, inspires you to take action, and ignites entrepreneurship in your community as we make our way forward together. Welcome to this episode of Forward with NACI. I'm Rebecca Corbin, and I'm really happy to have a special guest in our studio today, uh, Dr. Morna Foy, who has a very interesting job uh, working in the state of Wisconsin in the higher ed system. So we're going to get into all of that. So we're going to find out about what she's uh, doing these days in the changing landscape of higher education. But I'd like to just begin by welcoming you uh, to our audience, to our conversation. And I would love for you to begin, just introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about your background. Um, you know, some, where did you grow up? Where, what were some um, educational experiences? that led you to doing the work you're doing today? Well, thanks very much for having me uh, on the program, first of all. And secondly, I, I have a somewhat non-traditional path or history in terms of higher education leaders, I believe, uh, because I didn't um, come up through the ranks of academia. I was a, a legislative auditor, believe it or not. That was my mm -hmm. first professional job here in Wisconsin. I am a Wisconsin native, and I've Moved away a few times, different times uh, for school and work, but um, found my way back. I, I actually live in the town I was born in, Madison, Wisconsin, our state capital, uh, a few miles away from uh, my place where I grew up. Uh, but I am the president of the Wisconsin Technical College System. I found my way here through my job as an auditor for the legislature. I was a specialist in higher education issues, policy issues. In this state at that time, so in the late uh, 80s, um, early 90s, the University of Wisconsin system here was a it's a very large public four-year system, um, was of intense interest to our legislature, and we did a lot of reviews of them and different programs. And it's, a, it's very common in policy work. There's often a, a control group or a comparative um, analysis that's done. And so by virtue of doing learning a lot and, and doing a lot of projects related to the university, I learned a whole lot about the Wisconsin Technical College System, which I did not know. And after about 10 years in that job, I was looking for a new opportunity. And there was just a lot of things about the technical college system that appealed to me. It's a very broad, uh, has a very broad range of responsibilities. It would be, I think, probably considered one of the most nonpartisan state organizations we have here um, because you're not a cabinet. Uh, the leadership is not a member of the governor's cabinet. So um, it gives you an opportunity to, to really focus on the mission of the organization. Um, that was very appealing to me coming from a nonpartisan uh, legislative service agency. And then, of course, just the... Um, incredible outcomes and incredible breadth of services and programs that the technical colleges offer the state of Wisconsin really appealed to that policy 
uh, geek in me, that sort of government, uh, you know, I grew up my whole life just being fascinated by the public sector and the way that we organize ourselves to live together in a better community. So technical colleges ticked a lot of boxes for me, and I came here as a policy advisor to the system board, system governing board, and that was 24 years ago. So in that time, I've worked my my way up through the organization uh, to a vice presidency in government relations. Um, and now as president, I'm in my 11th year as system president. Wow. And you have such an interesting background and you know, I don't think a lot of people really understand the role sometimes of technical colleges. So you said a couple of things I thought were particularly interesting about sort of the the nonpartisan kind of unifying nature. And that's always been my experience, not only with community colleges, but also with entrepreneurship, which is a, a space that NACI occupies. It's really mm-hmm. about inclusion. It's about um, making opportunity available to everyone. So it's really hard for people to be against that. <laughs> By fighting against it. And I think especially what you were talking about in the technical college space, and I know there's a lot of um, skilled trades, uh, the the Wisconsin College that I'm the most familiar with is Fox Valley. Um, uh, Dr. Susan May was the um, retired now emeritus president of that institution. And I remember um, going up to visit her several years ago and seeing this big FedEx jet that um, students were working on. And I was like, oh my goodness, how did you get that jet? And she said, I just got a call one day and they asked me if I wanted it. And I thought that's the kind of leadership that really um, seizes on opportunity. So I thought maybe you could speak a little bit more about technical education, because I know there's a lot of workforce challenges um, going on, or I guess you could say opportunities, <laughs> if you will. But maybe talk about what you see are some of the you know, advantages of technical colleges and some of the, the jobs and, and skills that they're providing to, to employers. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite topics, so I'd be happy to. Um, that's one of the things that um, Wisconsin is very fortunate um, and also makes us a little bit unique in that um, we are the first state in the, in the United States to have a formal technical college system that uh, has both, it's a partnership, state and local, funded and governed. Um, and it, it, it started over a century ago. Um, and it really put the focus on moving our highly agrarian-based uh, economy and, and work opportunities into the more urban industrialized setting. So I had a lot of folks um, who were growing up on the farm, had a lot of skills, but they weren't necessarily the right skills for this new economy. We, in the evolution of higher education, we've been very fortunate because we emphasize education for work. Um, all of our decisions on programming are based on demonstrated need. So not just the need of students to want to pursue a program or even the need of a individual employer, but that there are actually job openings available in the area in which this, the program is being offered. And there's opportunities for students. We we have a couple of different things in place that say, you know, if you graduate with a credential from a Wisconsin Technical College and you don't find employment within six months, we will help you to rectify that situation. We take that commitment very seriously. So I think there's a big trend now in higher ed to do more of that kind of need-based, occupational-based specific education and training. 
And there's a much bigger commitment um, from the institutions themselves to help students with that transition from school into the world of work. But traditionally, two-year colleges in this country have primarily filled the space of transfer. So it was an access function, um, especially after World War II, when a lot of two-year colleges, whether you call them junior colleges or community colleges or technical colleges even, they were emphasizing uh, that first two years of a bachelor's degree. And that in some cases, that is all of they do. Um, and now they're trying to move into technical education um, in a bigger way. Uh, the, of course, the problem with that is that it's very, very expensive. You know, we have 18-year-olds here in Wisconsin, high school students here in Wisconsin that through their technical college are accessing equipment and machinery and sophisticated healthcare tools that are only available generally to uh, someone in a master's or a graduate, some kind of a graduate degree program in other states. It's it's an enormously costly um, undertaking, and it's something that really requires partnership with the private sector, which, again, we've had the benefit of building those relationships for a century, whereas if you're going to just start to do it now, um, that's a very difficult uh, task to get as uh, as Dr. May had told you the story of a you know FedEx in in, uh, in her area offering up a, an airplane, um, it's it just doesn't happen overnight. It's because they have built a relationship with the employers and business community over many years that um, creates those kind of relationships. And we have a we have many many relationships where to fund student financial aid, to to buy equipment, to update equipment in our colleges um, because of those private sector partnerships. Promise programs are something you heard about a lot. It's a way to fund students and to encourage more young people to pursue college education. We also have promise programs in the Wisconsin Technical College System, but they are 100% privately funded. So we don't fund them with the state tax dollars. We didn't have to go and ask the legislature to give us money. We raised it and and we started out in our urban, our biggest college, Milwaukee Area Technical College. Um, lots of folks said, you know, this there's lots of communities here of need. It will never happen. Um, in the very first year they started that program, it was overfunded. They exceeded their expectations both in participation and in donations. And since that time, we've had the vast majority of the rest of our colleges also create them in, you know, the same thing. Well, we can't do that here in a rural community. We can't do that here at a small college. And it just hasn't turned out to be the case. Um, There is just such a great relationship between our communities and our colleges been built over time. that it allows us a lot of flexibility to do innovative things, to behave more entrepreneurial as, as institutions ourselves. And I think that that's one thing that the two-year sector and career and tech ed really bring out. Technical colleges behave more like business private organizations because we have to. We're we're operating on the financial margins. Um, We usually have a very broad portfolio. And certainly in our colleges have a very broad portfolio of services that they're not only expected to provide, but in some cases required to provide. For example, we provide most of the law enforcement academies mm-hmm. here in Wisconsin. We provide most of the fire service training, and, and most of that has to be done for free. 
Um, we are the responsible entity for adult basic education here in Wisconsin. In many places, that falls to the K-12 system. But here in Wisconsin, that's the responsibility of technical colleges, and we, we cannot charge tuition for those services. So we have to do the things that, just like any private business would do, to make sure that we're being as efficient as possible and as effective as possible um, with our budget decisions and with our, our programming decisions. So you're very nimble, and I love that you you shared about the history of of the system. Early on in my career in, in the late 90s, I worked for the United Way in Waukesha County. So it was an interesting experience for me as a young professional being able to go into all of these businesses. And I know um, the technical college there in, in Waukesha County was a really big supporter. And I, I think we always talk about in entrepreneurship education, like bird in hand assets. And I think that's something um, with your state, not only having um, a lot of natural, beautiful resources, but kind of embracing that it is a more rural area. There's there's a history of, of a lot of, um, you know, the kinds of companies that if you can co-create training programs together, um, everybody, you know, benefits from it. And I know, you know, obviously all of us, you know, experienced the pandemic together as a global uh, community. I saw a lot of innovations um, that happened, uh, not, not only in your system, but in your peers and your colleagues in other areas. What, what do you think in terms of always innovating? Do you think on the other side of the pandemic, it's made us kind of stronger or more interconnected? Or how do you reflect on, on our learnings uh, through those years? I think that it has put a lot, it has empowered students for one. It has really accelerated change in higher ed that was going, was coming and was going to happen eventually, but it sped that process up and it really changed expectations um, of all of our, we refer to our students and our employer partners as our customers um, mm-hmm. because they, they influence peripherally Everything we do in in the college, we are a very um, stakeholder-driven organization, both at the system level and at at the college level with with, um, local leadership in our governing boards, um, with input from employers about job openings and financing. Our colleges have the power to um, levy a local property tax, which is terrific, but with that comes a responsibility and a accountability to local taxpayers. They feel quite strong ownership over their individual um, institutions. You know, I think this idea of expectation, not only about what they need from us, but how we can respond has really changed since the pandemic. We used to be able to say things like, well, we can't do that because the technology is not quite there or we don't have the resources to do it. And then all of a sudden during the pandemic, we found a way. <laughs> so now, even if it's still true, if, it, if it, the next iteration of, of virtual reality education, for example, you know, it, it is going to be even more expensive and it is going to be it's a it's a level of we don't necessarily have all the, the bugs worked out in the system. But since expectations now have been elevated, it's a lot harder for us to say, we just can't do that. Or you have <laughs> right. to wait. 
students and employers say, well, you figured out the last problem, so figure this one out. If you don't, we're going to go go find a partner who can. I, I heard someone once say, it's like you let the genie out of the bottle. You can't, can't yep. get the genie back in the bottle again. You cannot. Also, <laughs> right. It shows you what you really can do. All of us can do when we're really pushed um, to the limit. Because to your point about viewing um, students as customers, you know, I, I've long thought that, but the work that I've done, you know, over the years has been sort of in the entrepreneurship space, but even thinking about like customer discovery and customer experience, it's even a way of thinking about internships and, and things like that, of giving people experience where they're actually doing things, you know, do they want to sit at a desk? Do they want to work with their hands? Do they want to work with people or work with equipment? And so I think it's it's interesting because it's a different mindset. And I I love the fact that you're you're constantly innovating. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, I had a chance to hear you speak at a National Workforce Development Institute conference uh, when we were out in California earlier in the year. And I was struck by a lot of the the charts and and data and things that you track. And you know maybe as we close out our conversation, I'd just be curious to see uh, or to hear from you. Um, Dr. Foy, like, what are the things that you pay attention to? What are sort of the the data points or things that indicate to you, uh, you know, are you sort of headed in in the right direction? Or is it something, do we need to course correct or or something like that? Um, Yeah, we actually monitor quite a bit of things. (laughs) Um, And and that's large part, not just driven by changing student expectations, but I think the other thing that's changed is flexibility, that we have to be more responsive. So, any higher education institution no longer can just say, this is what our product is. This is how we offer it. These are the times of day we offer it. And you you buy that or you don't. We have to empower our, our customers um, to tell us how do they learn best? How do they get the information and, and incorporate it into their lives, which are very complex, in a way that's most efficient and effective? Um, because we, you know, we're measuring ourselves on graduates and placements and and none of that can happen if the if the students can't get the information. So we have a built. We've always collected just tons of data in the in the system. It's very data rich. Haven't always done a great job making use of that data, and that's really changing now. So we built, you know, come up with. We have common definitions of of terms. We collect the data in a uniform way so that it mean you know we know what it means and not just think we know what it means. We put that in a form, a visualized form that's easy for people to to access and absorb and be able to track things. We empower um, individual faculty members as well as staff at the college level and, and within my office to access that kind of information. So they can take a look at things like, I'm teaching a class right now with 20 people in it. I can monitor in real time how those 20 individuals are doing and what is different about them um, that might be affecting how it is that they're doing. You know, gender, race, age, whether they enrolled in this class as as an online student or an in-person student and make adjustments then, not just in my course, but for an individual student. It's been an incredibly powerful um, tool for faculty members. Our program design, our curriculum design folks use that data data dashboard also to look at the order in which they put um, learning competencies and modules. We do a lot of stacking 
of both credentials, but also within a credential um, so that our faculty can can borrow from each other. Um, and in the order in which we do that, how does that affect student learning and success rates? We have dashboards about um, student success itself. So we look at different kinds of students and how they learn best. We are um, we have elements in there that allow us to check for things like equity gaps. All of our female students um, of uh, you know Hispanic origin are they gravitating towards certain program areas that are maybe not the the best paying? Or right. and is, why is that? Is it be just personal choice? Is it because when we offer them? It's is it whether it's because it's consistent with other things that they might need if they're parents as well as being uh, Hispanic women. So we we try to look at all these factors, both of student characteristics, to see if that is affecting the learning process and the success process. Are we providing support services at the right times in the right format for students to take advantage of them? We look at the same information for our high school or dual credit programs. Um, we have um, special data dashboards on um, for our justice involved. So with students who are incarcerated, whether they're in a jail or a state prison system, how does that affect the learning process? How do we have to do things different? And it's not just what we're teaching. It's mostly like how we're delivering it. Mm -hmm. It's really taking, it, again, it's being student focused. You know, we used to talk all the time about how we had to prepare high school students to be career and college ready. Now we talk about we as institutions need to be student ready. We need to deliver to them what they need. Um, and it's going to be very different depending on that individual. Um, and, yeah, but if, it's, and it's goal is success, greater That's success. right. That's right. But I love what you're saying about really looking inwardly. Because I, I think about that a lot of the, you know, reflections that you try to do is, you know, it's, you can try to change somebody else or somebody else's system, or you can look inside and see what can we do better that will ultimately impact the, the outcome. So I've, I've learned a lot from you today. I appreciate so much you sharing your story, your inspiration, um, you know, for me personally, because I, I think, you know, that kind of a job, I've always admired people that get close to policy, but can still, you know, always sort of step back from it. And Certainly with your dashboards, I know you generously shared those on the session that I sat in on, and I hope that people will take the time and, and look up the system and learn from what you're doing in your state and, and get some ideas for um, what they might bring to their communities, because there's a lot of change going on. Um, I spoke with um, a leader out in Connecticut where they're, they're combining all of their colleges into one system. So you talk about radical innovation and, and some of the things that are, are happening even in the state of North Carolina where we are. So I just wish you a, a wonderful day. Thank you for share, being so generous, sharing your story, but also your resources. And I'm sure people in our audience will get inspired to, to, you know, to try to follow some of your examples. Well, I hope so. I think that's the best part about the two-year college space actually is is the collaboration um, that happens across states, across colleges, with a desire of everybody, you know, raising all boats. We're not in competition with each other. We're, we're just trying to provide better service. Indeed. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will continue to explore the many ways to define entrepreneurship with NACI as we celebrate opportunity, failing forward, and success learning from one another along the way. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and follow at NACI on social media 
and learn more about us at nacy.com forward slash podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode each week. We look forward to making our way forward together with you. Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership require us to lean in, anticipate and recognize trends, manage change, be resilient, take risks, reflect, and rest in the knowledge that anything is possible. Learn from our innovative, insightful, generous network who navigates both challenges and opportunities entrepreneurially as we share what we've learned and how you might apply their experience to your work. We hope you'll be as inspired as we were. Learn more at www dot nacyplaybook dot com